Hello friends, welcome to Silver Screen and Television Dreams, where I bring on a friend to talk about TV shows and movies. So, grab a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, and join us as we discuss all things Hollywood. I'm your host, Guacamole, and today I am joined with none other than Ariana. Hello, Ariana. Hello. How are you today? I'm excited to be here. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to do our second Harry Potter film. Yes. And you, like, have been getting really into it. All right. That's enough making fun of my notes. I'm not making fun of you. <laughs> I'm saying you yourself told me that you are getting much more into Harry Potter again. Yes. It's kind of revamping my original obsession with Harry Potter, and I'm not sure that it's entirely healthy. I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's healthy. We love Harry Potter, and so it's fine. It is. So today, we're going to be talking about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So can you give us a summary on Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Yes. So basically, it's another year at Hogwarts, and something always has to happen. So this is their second year. And basically, people, and I say people, but really um, people who are muggle-born, either half muggle-born or full muggle-born, keep mysteriously getting petrified, Um, come to find out quote, the Chamber of Secrets, which of course is the name of this movie, um, has been opened by none other than the heir of Slytherin. So this movie is kind of trying to figure out who opened the Chamber of Secrets, what is the Chamber of Secrets, um, and we learn that it has been opened before, obviously. Um, And so basically the dungeon of, or the dungeon, the (laughs) chamber of secrets is kind of this creepy dungeon that um, Salazar Slytherin created um, to host a monster. And we learn that the monster is a basilisk, like a super large snake. And the point of it is to eliminate, quote, bad blood or non-magical blood, um, also known as, you know, wizards and witches who were born um from muggle parents because the slytherin heir and family believed that purebloods were really the only ones who were worthy enough to practice magic so kind of long story short that's the point of the book and movie so here is my question right off the bat i don't understand that idea of like muggle-born because at some point it seems like all wizards would have been muggle-born oh goodness i haven't like gone that far in my brain but like it's see like did wizard are wizards their own race of people or did they come from a genetic abnormality in humans so then they'd all be muggle-born i feel like you're thinking way too far into this (laughs) well it made me think because lucius malfoy is like very into pure bloods and so it made me think, at what point are you a pureblood? So if Hermione and Ron have kids, are their kids pureblood? No. But her, her, their kids' parents are both wizards. And that's the definition of a pureblood is that you are born of two wizards. Mm, I don't know. I feel like it's just that there is a running line of pureblood wizards in the family. So if Ron had married another which who was pure blood then it would be pure blood hmm, i don't know i don't know that's my opinion i would need to know the genealogy of wizardry <laughs> like where did they come from are they their own race of people but or... fun fact about that is that neville longbottom is a pure blood which i learned in this book why is that a fun fact because i didn't know that oh 
Okay. Cool. I thought it was fun. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Um well, so thank you for the recap. And so basically it's we get introduced to this idea between pure bloods and mud bloods because Harry doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Because um Draco calls her a mud blood and everyone's like <gasps> like it's like a swear word in the wizard world. And then Harry's like, I don't even know what he called her. So then like Hagrid has to explain it to him. So I feel like we were all learning along with Harry what a mud blood is and what a pure blood is. Yeah. And that that's even like a thing that people would care about in the wizard world. Yeah. Well, and I like that what JK Rowling does is introduces this idea of being pure blood and these people that are kind of obsessed with it. Um, but instead of making it all about, you know, pure bloods against um, non-pure bloods and vice versa. Um, she really makes it apparent that the people who value pure bloodism um, are in the wrong because you have people like Neville Longbottom and the Weasley families who are pure blood and they don't care. Um, they still um, obviously respect and enjoy other people who aren't. So um, I like that she throws that in there. Yeah, it's a good like teaching. I think we all need to uh, take a note from J.K. Rowling and remember that it doesn't really matter where you're from. Um, Okay, so what are some of the major differences between the book and the movie? Um, There weren't any major differences when it comes to, um, like, the storyline. There was just little things. So one of my favorite differences was, like, the flying car situation. It was kind of a bigger deal in the book because, um, well, there's a lot of reasons why, but really um, Arthur Weasley obviously created, he, he's like the, um, artif- what is it, artifacts? Mm. What's his title? The Misuse of Muggle yes. Artifacts. So that's his department in the Ministry of Magic. And so he technically gets people in trouble for doing exactly what he did with this car. Um, And in the book, it talks about how he was creating this, um, it's called like the MPA, like the Muggle Protection Act, where basically, um, and they briefly talk about it in the movies when uh, Lucius Malfoy talks about him doing raids um and so basically what they were doing is they were going into wizarding houses and doing raids on misused muggle items that were kind of um, enchanted with magical things because that could endanger the secrecy and privacy of the wizarding world if muggles for some reason got a hold of that item and realized that it was enchanted but here arthur is having a whole workshop of all of these things Um, but it talks about in the book that Arthur kind of created this law and he put a loophole in it to say, as long as you are enchanting this item without the intention of using it, it's allowed. So that was his whole thing with creating the car. He's like, I never intended on using it. Uh, and so he hadn't used it. So that's why, you know, when you see in the scene of, Um, Arthur finding out the boys had driven the car he's so excited and he's like how'd it go because he had never used it because technically that was his whole loophole in the law so that was kind of a fun fact it also that helps explain why the boys got in such big trouble when they bring the car to campus and then when Ron gets his howler so male that yells at you Mm -hmm. um 
his mom says, like, now your father is, like, being investigated at work. So it kind of explains. That helps. I don't know. I always couldn't figure out why are these boys getting in such big trouble because they missed the train. wasn't their fault. And then they, like, ran into a tree. Who cares? The tree seems fine. I never understood that. Yeah, well, and it, and it goes into even more detail because, you know, in the movie it just talks about he's being investigated at work. But in the book it actually talks about he almost got fired and he was fined 50 galleons as well for this whole situation. And the person behind him getting in so much trouble was none other than Lucius Malfoy. Of course. Which kind of plays into the beginning of the corruption of the Ministry of Magic. Um, but it, it really, that whole scenario was really heavy throughout the book because it really highlighted the feud between the Malfoys and the Weasleys. Um, in the beginning of the book, another one of the differences, going back to that, is when Harry goes to, he uses flu powder and accidentally goes to the dark side of Diagon Alley, known as Nocturne Alley. Mm-hmm. And he appears in the kind of dark, creepy shop in Nocturne Alley called Borgen and Burks. And that happens in the movie as well. But in the books, he actually kind of sneaks in, in inside and sees um, both Draco and Lucius Malfoy in Borgen and Burks. And he's able to kind of spy on them a little bit. And Lucius Malfoy is talking about Arthur Weasley's raids and how they're affecting him and how he's nervous that basically Arthur Weasley is going to come in on him and kind of see what's what all he's got in at Malfoy Manor in his house Mm. um and so that kind of begins that understanding of the feud of you don't really see it in the books but Arthur Weasley is like still working towards exposing Malfoy behind the scenes which I think is really cool that is cool Yeah, the relationship between the Weasleys and Lucius. So, like, what is Lucius's role? So, like, is he part of the Ministry of Magic? Yeah, I think that he... No, I shouldn't say yeah. I don't know. I thought he worked there. But now I'm questioning myself. Maybe he just has high influence there. Because he has so much money. Right. Mm. I'm not certain. Hmm. Maybe we'll find out in later movies. I keep wanting to call them episodes. They're not episodes. <laughs> they're movies. Any other major differences? Um, yeah, well, again, going back to Weasley and Malfoy, um, in the bookstore, Weasley, um, Arthur Weasley actually fights Lucius, we- we- Lucius Malfoy. Like, he, like physically fight? Like physically, like, attacks him. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't anything crazy, but, yeah, it was pretty bad. Hmm. Interesting. That's, um, that's it for major differences. Did you notice in the movie, I didn't notice this the first time around, so, or until this time, and th- actually thought about it. When they're in the bookstore, Draco is reading a book and then rips the page out and puts it in his pocket for apparently no reason. Did you ever notice that? Um, now that you say it, I can picture the scene in my head, but I've never really noticed or cared. And then it never comes back again. Like, I want to know why he needed that page so badly. Or is it just, like, a a show of how Draco just doesn't care about other people's stuff at all? Like, is that, mere, like, truly what that is for, is just show, like, Draco's little punkness? If so, I appreciate that, because that's accurate for his character. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so at the beginning of this movie, we're introduced to a new character named Dobby. So... 
Harry is living in his cousin's extra bedroom, first of all, which is like, why do you need an extra bedroom? And so then he, his owl is making a lot of noise and his uncle comes up and is like, keep that owl quiet and then don't make a, a sound while my boss is here because I'm trying to get a promotion, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's what he's doing. And then he goes, so Harry goes back up to his room and there's this like weird creature and Harry comes to find out he's a house elf and his name is Dobby. What are your thoughts on the character of Dobby? In general for this movie or in general for the series? Movie. Obnoxious. Thank you. I hate Dobby. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like, that's too far. (laughs) I think he is, I know that that's an unpopular opinion. And he does redeem himself in the end, which we'll talk about later. Like he becomes less and less annoying. But... This first movie, I am just like, you are the worst character. The Oh, I just think he's so annoying. Well, let's unpack that a little bit because he kind of has to be. He's a house elf that serves the Malfoy family. So technically, when it comes to house elves, they literally cannot do, physically do, anything that their masters don't allow like they are physically bound to this family and so he has this curse on him kind of in which he's really doing everything he can to save Harry within the power that he has which is very little power I guess (laughs) I just I don't uh I don't know maybe I don't understand house elves enough to understand like why he can't be less annoying, but like that first time he's like making so much noise and it's like, you're not being helpful. Like Harry is asking you to stop making noise so he doesn't get in trouble and you're there trying to save Harry and you're getting him in trouble. But like, is that so that he has to stay in his house? I don't know. I just think he's so obnoxious. That's fair. I can see why you would say that, but let's talk about Dobby, how Him in this movie affects the rest of the series because I have some interesting theories on that. Well, share them because I have zero. (laughs) Well, I feel like Dobby in this movie, if you really think about it long term, it kind of foreshadows the need for these creatures, these magical creatures that need to be a part of like the war ultimately that we see in the coming movies and books and how... Like these wizards and witches can't just do it on their own. We need all of these magical creatures and even the ones who are kind of a part of the dark side because of course he's, you know, a house elf for a Death Eater family ultimately. But it's really Dobby who kind of assists us in finding out that Lucius Malfoy was a part of opening the Chamber of Secrets. So like we need these magical creatures to be able to help us win the war ultimately. All right, that's fair, I guess. I I can see that. And I do end up liking Dobby at the end. Um, but when he's bound to the Malfoys, he's very annoying. But then once he gets free, he's not quite as annoying. But I guess that's because then he can say and do what he wants to, as opposed to disobeying his master. But, yeah. I just, Ryan and I really struggle to watch this movie because of Dobby. Um... Like, sometimes I just fast forward the beginning because I don't, I can't stand him in the house. It's very stressful. I can give you that. Yes, very much so. Um, So let's touch on, 
So Dobby is trying to keep Harry from the Hogwarts, from Hogwarts. Wow, I just like totally forgot what it was called. Because he knows his master is going to try and kill Harry. And is, is that like, so I get a little confused. I'm not going to lie. I get a little confused in this movie because why would Dobby keep Harry away from Hogwarts? Because the thing that's killing people or trying to kill people, but ends up, what is it called? Petrifying them? Petrifying them. Um, isn't going after people like Harry, but is going after mudbloods. Well, I think that, and and we learn throughout the books and movie that ultimately the person who's behind opening the Chamber of Secrets is Voldemort, also known as we learned this book, Tom Riddle. And so Dobby knows that. He knows that Lucius Malfoy isn't the one to open the Chamber of Secrets. He's only the one to supply the diary to whom we learn it ends up being supplied to Ginny Weasley. And the diary is the um, kind of the, the way in which the chamber gets opened ultimately. But who do we learn it comes through the chamber is Tom Riddle, Voldemort. And we learn by the end as well that ultimately the whole point of this is, yes, to open the Slytherin chamber and, you know, we're going to kill some kill some mudbloods while we're at it. But ultimately he was he as in Voldemort was trying to take all of the energy from Ginny to come back, basically, and ultimately kill Harry. Oh, I don't think that's explained very well in the movie. Well, because do you remember? So we're going to we're going to jump to the end of the movie where Tom Riddle, like Ginny's laying on the ground in the dungeon, passed out. And Tom Riddle's like, it won't be much longer until basically she's entirely drained and I'm back to this human form. Like he kind of mentions that. I guess I just didn't understand that he was killing her to get her energy. And I, I don't just know if energy is the right word, but yeah. Yeah, I just assumed he just killed her because it's Voldemort and that's what he does just kill people so I guess I didn't make the connection and maybe everyone else watching this movie did but I didn't make the connection that he had to take like Jitty's life source because if that's true why didn't he do that to Professor Quarrel I have no idea (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) that was easy (laughs) um so yeah Tom Riddle so I guess let's there's a lot that happens. Basically, people start being petrified and the kids start putting it together that it's this guy named Tom Riddle. And because Moaning Myrtle talks about a diary being thrown into her toilet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I love Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> I think she's a fun, like, new character. Um, but what was I gonna, where was I going with that? Do they get the diary? Yeah, because Harry... I'm like trying to remember now. I just watched it, so I should really remember. He writes in the diary, and then he gets taken into the memory. Yes. Um, so where was I going with this? I don't know. Oh, yeah. So it's the diary that possesses the, like, being of Tom Riddle. Mm-hmm. And so he is, like, possessing Ginny? Because Ginny gets the diary first. So is he like possessing Ginny to open it? Because Ginny's not the heir of Slytherin, right? Right. I just am like, every time I watch it, I'm like, I don't quite understand how this is working. Because Ginny's not the heir of Slytherin. It's Tom Riddle. Mm-hmm. So he like possesses her through the diary. Mm-hmm. And then how does she figure out that she was possessed? 
Because she throws the diary away, right? So does she go down into the chamber and then come back up and then go back down? I don't think that it explains necessarily the details of whether or not she goes in and out of the chamber. I think it just talks about her recognizing and realizing that she's being a part of this bigger danger and in the book it kind of she starts to recognize it when Hermione gets petrified I think it kind of smacks her back into reality a little bit um but yeah I don't think that it goes into detail as to how far it just it just says that she opened it but again that's through the possession of Tom Riddle got it okay so when Tom Riddle shows up in the chamber so now Ginny's in the chamber and Ron and no, just Harry's in the chamber. And um, he opened it by speaking parcel tongue because this is when we find out that he's a parcel mouth. Mm-hmm. So he can speak to snakes. So he opens the chamber door and he goes in and then Tom Riddle shows up. So is that like a physical Tom Riddle or is that like an aberration Tom Riddle? Like could they actually like touch him? I have no idea. Okay, because then when they – so the basilisk comes out, which is like this huge snake – and that's what was going through the walls, petrifying people. He comes out, and then they kill the basilisk, and they take his tooth, right? Mm-hmm. And um, eventually, the basilisk poison is, like, really deadly. So Harry figures out that if he stabs the diary, Tom Riddle will die or go away, right? So he stabs it with the basilisk tooth. So then I've always wondered... What happens to that physical being of Tom Riddle? Just goes back into the diary? Because the diary is destroyed. The di- well, and that's something that I think we'll touch on when we get into the Half-Blood Prince. Because we mm. learn really what the diary is, um, how it came to be, and what, what it all means. So ultimately, this is a conversation really for the Half-Blood Prince to, to determine where he goes and what happens from there. So it's meant to be confusing. Yeah. Like, I honestly haven't watched these movies in such a long time that it's almost like rewatching them. So it's meant to be like, okay, Tom Riddle disappears, so you assume that he's gone, but, like, he's not actually gone. Right. Because I guess we figure out in four he's not actually gone, but, He yeah. still has ways. And that's what Dumbledore said, too, originally in, in the Sorcerer's Stone because Harry thought now that the Sorcerer's Stone is gone, that he can't come back. And Dumbledore said, no, he has ways. There are ways. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked I liked this movie, minus the beginning Dobby scene. But overall, like, I feel like it's... Ron has some really good, like, quirky lines that makes it pretty funny. And his Ron's facial expressions are just my favorite. Um But I also feel like it starts really getting into the dark side of the wizarding world. The first one isn't really quite as dark, which I think makes sense because it's the first one. Um, But it really starts showing us, the viewer, like it's not just this magical place. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) Not just a magical place, but a place that has some real problems. Um, And it's kind of like, it's kind of scary that, you know, there's wizards out there that you would assume all are going to be good, but you've got like the Malfoys that really want to just like genocide almost, which I think is, I don't know, as an adult, I appreciate it more. Just the, the teaching in the movie of right versus wrong and how do you deal with those things and live with those people. Cause I think the Weasleys are good examples of how they live 
with people they disagree with for the most part. I mean, obviously they have their moments like Mm -hmm. fighting him in the bookstore. (laughs) But I think the introduction to the Weasley family in this book is just vastly different from Harry's family and is vastly different from the Malfoy family that I think it just, I don't know, I really appreciate it. They're good people and you can see that they struggle, but they're really trying to do what's right all the time, which I think is a nice feature to the book. Sure. Yeah, they're all, they're, their whole thing is they're all about family. They have a huge family. That's really all they have. They don't have a lot of money. And that's so, like you said, vastly different from kind of the rest of the families that we see, um, which is a really nice sight to see. Yeah. Um, okay, so anything else about just kind of like the chamber and like the presence of Tom Riddle and kind of what that means for Harry or Hogwarts or the Wizard World or anything like that? No. Okay, so this movie has a lot of new Wizarding World things. So it seems like every movie, especially in the first four, maybe five, we're introduced to so many new things every time, which I think is like, how does she keep coming up with stuff, you know? But what are some of your favorite new things in this movie that we weren't introduced to in the first movie? I think my favorite new thing is is actually just the history that we learn about Hogwarts. Mm. Um, but then when it comes to just wizarding things, we've got flu powder, polyjuice potion. You have the idea of a house elf and those creatures. Um, and then like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of dark magic and dark wizarding stuff that comes to light. So I really enjoy that piece when it comes to being introduced to Nocturne Alley um, and the dark bookstore like um, Borgen and Burks, those types of things. Yeah, definitely. Um I I love the story of McGonagall tells. I think like she's so entrancing. Like all the kids just sit there wide eyed. Like I just love Professor McGonagall. She's probably my favorite professor, um, which I think she's probably meant to be. But um, just when she tells the story of Slytherin, like I appreciate as a teacher her way of explaining it without trying to make people who are currently in Slytherin feel bad for being in Slytherin. You know, like she presents the story as very factual and Salazar Slytherin left the school because of his differences. And um, I don't know, I just really appreciate how she tells that story in a way that's very entrancing, but doesn't make anybody feel bad for currently being in Slytherin or maybe having a parent that was in Slytherin. Um, She's very, I don't know, I just love Professor McGonagall. (laughs) um oh when he goes to the um when uh harry goes to ron's house at the beginning and in the movie like all the chores are being done by magic and then they have a clock i think this was like my favorite thing they have a clock that tells where they are Mm -hmm. and i didn't ever notice it until this time um Harry's looking at this like grandfather looking clock and there's these little spoons with everybody's face on it things that look like spoons and um it has like home prison school like all these things and it has Ron Fred and George and then it clocks them back to home and I was like that's such a cool clock because then she can tell where everybody is I thought that was pretty cool um but I think the introduction to Ron's family shows a lot of fun things you can do with your magic like knitting and dishes and yeah Anything else? That I love? No. Okay. (laughs) What is something from the Wizarding World that you hated? I felt like we were introduced this movie and book to the 
corruption that is starting in the Ministry of Magic. And I hate that. But I love it, but I hate it. Mm-hmm. Especially because it brings along that, uh, what's her name? The one that wears pink all the time, and she's just so annoying. Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> yes, we can all we can talk about her later, but yeah. she's the worst. Um, I hate the spiders. Like, I don't need to know that there's giant spiders that can talk and are super furry. I don't need to know that. <laughs> that whole scene is like, oh, I hate it so much. Makes me cringe. Um, that's probably the thing that I hate in this movie. But everything else I like. I love the phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, and the introduction to the phoenix because that comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Harry's response when he's like, your bird, it just, it caught flame and there was nothing I could do. And he like feels so bad that the bird just like turned to ash right in front of him. Um, I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some things that you noticed this time around that you never noticed before? Um, I would say... Oh, goodness. I would say going back to the Malfoy and Weasley feud, which we already talked about and we don't need to get back into, but mm-hmm. I really noticed more along the lines of how deep that runs and really the reasoning behind that. It doesn't just stop at surface level of, you know, Malfoy, um, Lucius Malfoy hates the Weasleys because they don't value their pure bloodness. And they, you know, associate with muggles and muggle-born folk. Because that's kind of always what I thought that it lied. And that's not the case. It it runs a lot deeper than that. So I think I recognized that this time around. Yeah. Um, There were two major things that I never noticed, which was the grayness of Ron's house cloak. Everybody's el- everybody else's cloak is, like, super black and new. And his is super gray because it's... a passed down from his brothers and so you can tell it's just like super worn and it has like the old school toggles instead of like the new buttons and so his cloak is so much older than everybody else's I've never noticed that you should go watch it again because you'll notice especially when they're um talking to Malfoy when they find out Malfoy's the new seeker you can really tell because he's standing right next to Hermione who has like a brand new one and his is so old looking and so grungy, which I don't know. I just love those little details mm-hmm. that they throw in there to show that the Weasleys really are. I mean, they're a great family, but, you know, they don't have as much money as everybody else. Yeah. Because they have so many kids. Um, and then the other thing in the, I don't know if they like talk about it at all in the book, but in the movie, it's just this quickest little thing. But at the Quidditch match where Malfoy and where Draco Malfoy and... Harry are chasing the snitch together and there's the bludger that's also chasing Harry um they're like going through the like columns and then Malfoy like gets caught and then like rolls on the ground like he comes out of the columns like nobody can see them and then he kind of like gets thrown out of the columns and then like rolls on the ground and is no longer chasing the snitch and there's like this quick little um like pan of the camera to his dad and the look of disappointment on Lucius's face just for like two seconds is like oh my like he's so disappointed and so like mad at his son for not being successful and I felt like it was just the quickest little insight into probably what Draco always gets at home and it shows why Draco is partly is the way that he is. Yeah, I'm so glad that you pointed that out because I'll have to go back and look. I I don't 
remember that off the top of my head, but it brings back to what I was talking about earlier when Harry accidentally ends up in Borgen and Burke's um, after misusing the flu powder and he's able to spy on Lucius and Draco in Borgen and Burke's. And Lucius is talking a lot about, um, you know, Arthur Weasley at that time, but um, Draco is talking a lot about Harry and basically nonchalantly showing how jealous he is of Harry and all of these things. And the way that Lucius speaks to him is very degrading, very demeaning, very rude. And Harry's kind of snickering in the back like, haha, yeah, Malfoy, you know, whatever. And uh, but you really see that. I don't want to go as far as verbal abuse, but, you know, the, mm-hmm. the unkindness and, and lack of being proud of his son that he displays mm-hmm. to Malfoy. And you kind of start to get a glimpse, like you said, as to what he really receives at Mm -hmm. home and kind of why he is the way that he is Mm -hmm. which I think plays into so much of what happens in Draco's storyline over the next five books I can do math over the next five books and movies and I don't know if Draco's development is different in the books than in the movies um but yeah I just think you can it helps you understand because Lucius is just not a good guy I mean a fantastic actor but just like not a good person at all um yeah so I appreciated just the little snippets of seeing what Draco deals with to understand which I think is important you know like bullies aren't bullies just because they want to be there's always like a reason behind it and trying to figure out what that reason is can be really helpful any other thoughts on the movie any other fun facts yes sure Um, Well, I wanted to touch a little bit. I wrote down some characters here, and I'll just kind of give the names that I wrote down and then little fun facts about each of them through the book. So Mundungus Fletcher, (laughs) we'll talk more about him later on, but I wanted to just drop his name in here because he was mentioned in the beginning of this book. And I can't recall, I would need to look it up again, but um, basically somebody was talking about how Mundungus Fletcher, like, set a cursed spell on them or something like that. Like, it was just Mundungus being Mundungus. And for those of you who haven't seen the rest of the movies, you'll get it when we get there. But um, I wanted to drop his name in there. Um, Gilderoy Lockhart. Oh, we, we didn't haven't even, talk even about talked him. about <laughs> him yet. He's, like, the, one of the main parts. Yes. <laughs> yes, let's talk about Gilderoy Lockhart. Yes. So <laughs> Gilderoy Lockhart is the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Um, and for the longest time, I could not fathom why Dumbledore hired him. I could not fathom it because he is narcissistic, all obsessed with himself. He's supposedly this wonderful wizard who's defeated all of these monsters and done all these great things. Come <laughs> to find out at the end of the, the movie, he didn't do any of those things. He took credit for other wizards' achievements and then cast a memory spell on them so they would forget that they achieved these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up looking it up as to why Dumbledore hired him in the first place. Do you know why? I don't. Oh, I never word. even thought about it, actually. Yes. So um, J.K. Rowling came out with a statement as to why Dumbledore hired him. And basically it was because Dumbledore knew two of um, the wizards that Gilderoy Lockhart took credit for. And kind of mm. wanted to avenge them and also call um, Lockhart out for being a scam. And so he kind of did the same thing, which we'll see again in the Half-Blood Prince that he did to the, the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher then, which is 
dangle the fame of Harry Potter in front of mm. this narcissistic man and say, hey, you'll be even more famous if you've taught Harry Potter defense against the dark arts. So that's what ultimately got Lockhart to take the job. Um, and Dumbledore, being all-knowing, knew that he would be exposed one way or another by taking this job. That's really cool. Why do they not, like, ever say that anywhere? I would have so much more appreciation for Dumbledore if any of this was written or in the movies anywhere at any time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Dumbledore had another, like, great yeah, – I just love him in the books um, – <laughs> where oh, – let me find it because he – is talking to Professor McGonagall, I believe, and it's basically when they're trying to figure out what's going on with the Chamber of Secrets. And uh, McGonagall says, but Albus, surely who? As in, like, who is doing this? Who opened the chamber? And uh, Dumbledore said, the question is not who, the question is how. And so that's in the very beginning of the book, and Dumbledore's basically saying, I already know it's Voldemort. I know that that's who it is. I'm just trying to figure out how he's doing it. So That's interesting. I feel like Dumbledore is not given enough credit. I mean, I don't really love Dumbledore because I feel like he's always like, I know everything, but I'm not going to tell anyone until everyone almost dies, and then I'll let you know. And it's like, why? why? But it's fine. <laughs> yeah, don't hate on my man. Dumbledore is my man. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like, oh, I shouldn't really say that. I was just thinking like, Maybe it's a good teaching moment of, like, if Dumbledore is truly all-knowing, then maybe that's why I need to, like, trust God, who is truly all-knowing, and, like, there are bad things that happen, and I have to believe that he has a plan, just like Dumbledore. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Um, Even though they are not, I'm not saying Dumbledore is God, because he is not. <laughs> <laughs> Side note. Cliff note there. Um, so a couple other characters that I wrote down other than Gilderoy, which I put a star next to because I'm like, we have to talk about him. Um, we are introduced, like you talked about earlier, to Moaning Myrtle. Um, briefly, Katie is mentioned, which we see Katie in, I want to say it's the next movie from the Quidditch team. Not a big character, but we learn about Katie this time. Um, Filch. We learn something about Filch in this movie and book. Um, actually, I'm not sure if it's in the movie, but I was going to say, I, we learn the reason why Filch, who is the caretaker of, he's basically the janitor of the school. Um, and he's always cranky and running around trying to get students in trouble. (laughs) And we find out that it's because he's a squib. That is in the book. I remember reading that in the book when I read it seven years ago, (laughs) but I don't remember what a squib is. So explain. It's like. Somebody who's kind of magical, but not entirely a wizard. So also not a muggle. Right. So it's somewhere between a muggle and a wizard? Yes. Mm, so he like has some disdain for the wizarding world. But... Envy. Envy. But then, so does he like Dumbledore? Like is Filch like a Dumbledore fan or is Filch like a Death Eater fan? No, oh, gosh. I don't know that it gets into that. I can't see him being a Death Eater fan because... Ultimately, he would have had more, he would have been able to help the Death Eaters more later on. So I can't see that. But mm-hmm. I don't know that it goes into the details of where his loyalties lie. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anything else? Um, we learn about Hagrid's history and why he got expelled and why he's not allowed to use magic. Right. Okay, so that leads me to a question that I had. Is everybody in the wizarding world magical? Because Dobby says something about um, being, like, never having been a wizard or 
or being asked to sit down by Harry. And that was like a big deal because he was a wizard. So like, but Dobby is magical himself. So wouldn't that make Dobby a wizard? Like, what's the difference between like a magical being and a wizard? Well, a wizard is a human that practices magic. Dobby is a house elf and house elves are magical. So there are magical creatures. So are wizards like the top of the chain of magical creatures? Good question. Because I feel like it's it's put in a way that if you're a wizard, you're like the best of the magical creatures. But like Hagrid isn't a human. He's a half giant who had magical powers, right? And Dobby has magical powers and the centaurs have magical powers. So I just am trying to figure out like why is it? I mean, obviously Harry's a wizard, so that's why we're following wizards. But is it? Just his perspective is that they're better than everybody else or I don't know. It just made me wonder, like, how come Dobby isn't? Oh, I guess he's just not considered a wizard because he's not human. So then. Are there schools for other magical beings? But Hagrid went to Hogwarts. Well, and I don't know about the whole schools for other magical beings. I don't know about all that. But you when you think about house elves. Like, he's a slave, ultimately, wearing rags mm-hmm. and serving wizards. Mm-hmm. His whole being, which is a long lifetime, has been to serve wizards. He's known as less than. So for him to be told to sit down in a polite manner by a wizard mm. is opposite to what he's ever known. So Hagrid went to Hogwarts and got expelled because he had... Fl- no, not Fluffy. What what did he name her? Aragon. Aragon, right? No, not Aragon. Aragog. There we go. Aragog. <laughs> oh, book. Aragon is the yeah, um, wrong book. Yeah. Um, Ar- Aragog. Um, but he's a giant or half giant, and I was thinking about how there's no other half giants or giants or anything at Hogwarts. They're all humans. Mm-hmm. So that would have been unfortunate for Hagrid to be the only giant in his school. I don't know. I just I just wonder sometimes why weren't there more giants in the school if you Hagrid went there? think things through so much into a fiction novel. <laughs> it is amazing. Like, these well, are not questions that I can answer. <laughs> I need somebody to answer them. Because then there's the same thing with that girl's school, who the headmaster is a giant, but there's no giants at her school. Again, <laughs> I stand by what I said. Uh, I don't know. I just, I need some, uh, I need some canon somewhere that tells me all of these backstories. Um, anything else? That is it for me. Okay. Cool beans. Well, I, I think this one is better than the first one. In my opinion. I like it better. Minus the very beginning. But I think it just, there's more wizarding world. Um, I don't know, it gets more into the story of like who Harry Potter is and why that's important and who Voldemort is. And I don't know, I like it. Um, do you, where's the, where, we should rank them. That's what we should do next time. Mm. We should bring our rankings in next time of our favorite Harry Potter movies. Favorite to least favorite. Okay. Okay, organize that for next time. Um, <laughs> so uh, we took a wand test. To figure oh. out what our wand is. Are we going to talk about that? We are. Um, my wand is made of cedar wood with a phoenix feather core. It's 13 and 3 quarters inches and reasonably supple and flexible. 
<laughs> reasonably. Yeah. So I don't know if that's good that I have a flexible and supple wand, but uh. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know, we didn't just like come oh, yeah. up with these on our own. We're like, what wand would we have? We went to the what used to be Pottermore, yeah, um, the WizardingWorld.com, um, and did these tests, which again goes to my unhealthy obsession. Which last time. We talked about what house we were in, mm-hmm. and that's where we got our house from, was Wizarding World. Right. Which puts you in Ravenclaw, correct? Yes. And me in Hufflepuff. So uh, the, my wand is a black walnut wood with a dragon Ooh. heartstring wow. for 12 and a half and hard flexibility. Wow. <laughs> so way better than yours. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I like that I have a phoenix feather. I was always jealous of the phoenix feather, but a dragon heartstring, that's... Yeah. Does yours just like shoot fire all the time because it has a dragon heart stream? Basically. <laughs> so yeah, if you haven't, it's really easy and fun if you go on thewizardingworld.com and kind of find your house and your wand and then next week we'll do another fun thing. Yes. Also, I kind of want to go to Universal and like buy my wand. <laughs> I don't know if you can. can I don't you? know either, but um, I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make them make me one special. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Well, thank you. Um... That was Ari's suggestion is that we do our wands, and I think that was fun. Um, Let's do our dad joke of the podcast, shall we? Yes, please. Okay, here we go. Why don't eggs eggs tell jokes? So they don't crack up? You got it! Good job. Oh, good dad jokes. (laughs) Um, Okay, so can we catch you on the socials anywhere? Uh, No. That's probably better. You can catch me on the socials, <laughs> although I don't know. I'm kind of jealous sometimes of your ability to like not be on social media, but that's fine. Um, you can catch me on the socials at SSTV Dreams on Instagram, and you can email me at sstvdreams at gmail.com if you want to ask questions or give Ari and I suggestions on what we should talk about next time on our Harry Potter episode for the third movie. Um, you can go to Instagram and, I don't know, comment, whatever. Tell I us. I don't know. What do you even do on Instagram? What yeah. is this magic? I know. What is this? <laughs> um, this newfangled technology of Instagram. Um, or, I don't know why I always said or. Um, you can also go to Guacamole, which is my personal Instagram, and you can follow. I'd also love for you to leave a review on iTunes um, or Google Podcasts or wherever. Um, because that really helps me out. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Ari, for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Remember who you are. Bye. Bye.